Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. My name is Kristen Blummel. Um, I've spoken up on stage only once before, so some of you might not know me. My husband and I, Sam is in the back. Um, we're on staff with Youth with a Mission, or YWAM, if you're more familiar with the acronym. Um, and Ryan asked if I would be willing to do this presentation for Advent on Mary and Joseph, I think because I'm a mom, maybe. Maybe that's why, I'm not really sure. Um, but I'm excited that I get to share this uh, this week of Advent with you guys. So in Advent, so far we've already talked about looking at the Christmas story through the perspective of the supporting characters. So we looked at the prophets and the angels so far. Um, And today we're talking about from the perspective of Mary and Joseph. Um, I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago we prayed for Allison um, because she's pregnant. Yes? Uh, So she's in labor right now. Yeah. Which is such fun timing that we're talking about the birth of Christ and she's having her baby. So I thought we should maybe just take 30 seconds and pray for her, if that's okay. Yeah. Maybe just turn to someone you're next to and pray 30 seconds. Pray for Allison. Her baby's Rose, but Rose is coming today. So you can just pray for the birth. So we'll just be quiet for, or, you know, praying for 30 seconds. We thank you so much for birth. We thank you for um, just the timing of Rose coming to uh, get to be here for Christmas. Um, We ask that you would be with Allison especially today as she goes through the birthing process. Um, We pray for health for her and for baby Rose and that it just would be a smooth process. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, Okay, so this is a pretty different format, for for at least for me. Um, We're going to be talking about the Christmas story, and I wanted to tell it in maybe a less familiar way than you're used to, because the Christmas story is the most familiar story in the whole Bible. Everyone knows the Christmas story that, you know, Mary got pregnant as as a virgin, and then all of that happened to her. But I think that we often become so familiar with the story that we miss what the experience could have been like um, for the characters. So today, I would like you to pretend that you don't know the story, to get unfamiliar with it, so that you can think through more what this experience would be like for Mary and Joseph, if that's okay. Um, And I should even pray that that happens. So I'll pray for you, you pray for me. Uh, Lord, I ask that as we talk about this story today, that you would make us unfamiliar to the point that we pay attention, that we recognize things that you're wanting to point out to us that maybe we've never noticed before. Father, I ask that I would say the things that need to come out and I won't say the things that don't need to. Yeah, that I would listen to your spirit well, even as I'm teaching. Amen. Um, Okay, so here we go. We're going to just jump into this story. 
Uh, so first, I'm going to give you some background on Mary. We're so familiar with Mary that sometimes we don't know the things about her that um, you find out when you study because you're going to teach. Um, so Mary, culturally, would have actually been a teenager. We think about Mary, at least I had always thought about Mary being in her 20s, because um, that's typically in our culture. People start having kids in their 20s. Uh, in this culture, uh, she would have been a teenager, which changes the whole story to me. Um, it's also known that uh, she knew scripture. She knew the Lord. We know that, but she knew scripture. Um, so I'm going to read this, uh, the Magnificent Mary song, which is from Luke 1, 46 through 55, and it's up on the screen. Um, okay. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent riches away with empty hands. Sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. This is the um, prophetic prayer that she prayed with her aunt, they believe. Um, when she was still pregnant, she prayed this, recognizing that Christ was Messiah. She was the first one to have that realization. Um, she also knew that she was from the line of David. So most of the Old Testament um, prophets and everything, they point towards the coming Messiah. And she knew that that Messiah would come from her family. She also, and this one was weird to think about, I always thought of Mary having just Jesus. I don't know if anyone else thought that. And I was, I was studying this, and I've read the Bible all the way through multiple times, and somehow I'd never, never seen this. Uh, in Matthew 13, it says that... Um, Jesus and his brothers and his sisters. And so if you count, it names out four of his brothers and it says, and his sisters, which means he had at least two. So Jesus was one of seven kids, um, which is funny. And it also helped me realize, you know that story that talks about that they, uh, Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem and Jesus was found in the temple, but they were missing him for days before they realized. Uh, now that I know she had seven kids, <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> I had always thought, I have one kid. I had always thought, how do you lose your one kid? <laughs> seven kids, that's how. Especially if he's the oldest one, that's the one you're expecting to be responsible, right? <laughs> Um, okay, and the backstory on Joseph. Joseph was a humble carpenter and a man of great faith. The Lord spoke to him so, so many times through angels and through dreams. Uh, you talk about different people hearing from the Lord in different ways. Joseph has all these angels showing up all the time, which is just wild. Um, and he also knew his lineage um, and that he was going to be part of the story of the Messiah coming from his family line. Um, I also didn't recognize this before studying for this, that there are two um, lists of lineage in the Gospels. One is for Mary, one is for Joseph, is, is the most believed thing. So the Christmas story is only actually told in Matthew and in Luke. 
Mark and John don't make any commentary on the Christmas story, which is, tell your preparing for this. You're like, oh, what does Mark have to say about this? Oh, he doesn't say anything. It's just interesting. Okay, so now I'm going to tell the story now that we know their backstory. Um, Again, put yourself in the shoes of these characters and try to think through what this experience would have been like for them. So Mary, uh, you're engaged to be married and you're a virgin. And then this angel shows up uh, and, and tells you that you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Um, In the culture at that time, being engaged for a woman meant financial security. Um, You couldn't own property and your lineage wouldn't pass down unless you were married and had kids. So that she was engaged meant, "Ah, like I don't have to worry. And then she finds out she's pregnant. That I'm sure that she thought, he's gonna divorce me, who wouldn't? I'm pregnant and I'm supposed to be marrying him. And that's significant. Um, Also we know, like as she continued, so now Mary is uh, a pregnant Jewish teenager, uh, not married, um, and she thinks that her fiance is gonna break their engagement, Um, but then he has this dream and he's told not to, so he doesn't, which is great. Um, So now you're, you know, you're still okay. Uh, But then you find out that you have to go uh, all the way down to Bethlehem because the Romans who are ruling over your people at that point decide that they're going to raise taxes and so there needs to be this census. So you have to, uh, you have to go, not drive, um, all the way down to Bethlehem uh, from Nazareth, which is about 80 miles. Um, and you're pregnant, and you don't get to ride in a car. You have to go on foot or donkey. They didn't have a lot of money because Joseph was a carpenter. So it was probably donkey slash on foot. 80 miles pregnant. That sounds real fun. Um, I remember when I was pregnant having to use the bathroom every 30 minutes uh, towards the end. So I was thinking about that, like 80 miles. Yeah, that doesn't sound nice. Um, so they finally, they get into, uh, Bethlehem, 80 miles, um, and they're trying to find a place to stay, and we're not really sure, we know from scripture that they stayed, um, in a a stable, and there was a manger, so we assume that it's a barn, but it could have been a spare room in someone's house, it could have been a cave, the point is that it was not an ideal place to have a baby, Um, Not at all. And when you're preparing to have a baby, you guys know all of the Pinteresty things. You're putting together the nursery and you want everything to be perfect before it happens. This is not a Pinterest. (laughs) Uh, Not at all. Pinterest worthy thing. Um, My sister April is here today, which is really fun. She's a midwife. Um, So a couple weeks ago, I was telling her that I got to share about this today. And I thought like from a midwife's perspective, giving birth in a barn, how, how, what, have you ever thought about that? What would that be like for Mary? And she thought, I think I could do it. <laughs> and if you know my sister, that she, she probably could and she'd be fine. Uh, for me, that would be pretty scary. And I even had my kid at home, but to think to have a child in a barn or a cave or the room in someone's house when you don't have your friends, you don't have your family, You don't have a, probably not a midwife there. It's you and your husband who you still haven't slept with. So this is awkward. You're giving birth. (laughs) 
Um, I had never thought through those things before until like really putting myself in the shoes of Mary. Um, so Mary has Jesus, right, in the stable. Oh, I have this other funny story that made me think about this. Like giving birth in front of animals seems just weird like really weird, and I, I remembered. So my husband and I are on staff with YWAM, and last year we got to go to Romania for a month and Greece for a month, but when we were in Romania, Arwen and I spent a day doing house visits to people in the, um, like way outside of the city of Cluj, um, and we went to do this house visit for this lady who didn't have heat, uh, didn't have a bathroom inside, um, just like extreme poverty. Um, and her, they use outhouses in rural Romania. And this outhouse was like the worst one that I saw in my entire time in Romania. You could see through all of the slats of wood into the outhouse and the outhouse was located in the pig um, area. Like, so there are pigs all over and then there's the outhouse and that's when my daughter has to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so I take her outside, I'm like, you just have to go. She's like, I can't pee with pigs watching. <laughs> uh, which I understood, I was laughing and crying with her. Not really crying, but like laughing, crying. Um, that's the closest I could think of to what it would be like to have a kid with animals watching because having to even use the bathroom with a pig watching is so scary. <laughs> but this is what Mary went through. Um, okay, so now she's had baby Jesus um, and shepherds are coming in. Whoa, strap this on my pocket. Okay. Um, so a really funny thing about this is that Bethlehem, you know from scripture, uh, King David was from Bethlehem. He was a shepherd there. So the city of Bethlehem is right outside of Jerusalem. And this is where typically um, you would go to Bethlehem to get your uh, animal to sacrifice in Jerusalem. So shepherd's job was to make sure that they could recognize what a perfect lamb was. So it's so significant that shepherds were the first one to come and see Jesus because they were trained in recognizing what a perfect lamb was. So even the symbolism of that is so neat in this story. So, okay, so the shepherds are coming in, but you've just given birth, uh, and that's also awkward. Some people have people come see them right after giving birth, and I don't understand that because I didn't want to see anyone for at least a while. <laughs> But the shepherds are showing up, so you maybe ask them to wash their hands before they're touching baby Jesus. I don't know. Um, so after the shepherds, eventually the magicians or the magi come, um, but they don't come straight to baby Jesus. They go and see Herod the king because I guess when you're a, a wise man, um, a magician from an eastern nation, you think you should probably go talk to the king if you know that a, a new king is coming because it's probably the king's son. Um, turns out that wasn't a good idea because Herod's son wasn't the coming king that was prophesied. Um, and Herod's kind of crazy. Um, so instead of <laughs> joining in celebrating the new coming king, Herod gets kind of angry. But in front of the wise men, he of course, um, as... Uh, yeah, he says, I would like to worship the child also, so please let me know when you guys find him. Um, well, I think, like, who would go to a king to say a coming king is coming that's not the king that's on the throne? That seems foolish. And these guys are called the wise men. So I, I don't know. 
Um, Okay, so I'm going to read this scripture. This is Matthew 2, 13 through 18. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Again, angels showing up. Get up, flee to Egypt with, his ch- with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill the boys in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of when the star first appeared. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. The prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Mm. I want to show you a map. I think maps are helpful to make things seem more real. Um, My husband and I and my daughter actually got to go to uh, Israel, and we went into Bethlehem a few years ago when uh, Arun was like 18 months old. Um, And we actually stayed in Bethlehem. Uh, Bejala, um, which is right outside of Bethlehem. And something really significant about this passage um, is that it talks about Rachel weeping for her children. I don't know if you remember who Rachel is in the context of the Bible, but Rachel was the matriarch of Israel. She was Jacob's wife. Um, And her tomb is located just right outside of Bethlehem. So this is so interesting that it says Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for they are dead. Uh, It's because Rachel's tomb was in the city where all of these babies were just murdered, um, who were part of her heritage. And you can also see from this map um, that uh, actually, yeah, so Jerusalem is just... Um, five miles away from Bethlehem. So, uh, let's see. We can go on to the Romans coming. Um, So, these are Roman soldiers. And this angel shows up in the night and tells you that you need to wake up in the night and get out of Bethlehem and go to Egypt, which is 300 miles away from Bethlehem. And you just had a baby recently. We don't know exact timeline, but we know that it was not long. <laughs> she didn't have that long to recover before she's taking this 300-mile trek. And she finds out that these Roman soldiers are coming. So I did a little, a little bit of Googling um, about Roman soldiers. These guys were trained to march in their full armor, which was very heavy, for at least 20 miles a day. They could swim with this armor. And they were trained to be able to get into any building, any fort. Um, so these are elite... I don't know what they would be equivalent to in today's terms, but these were elite warriors. And you find out that these guys are coming and they're coming for your baby. And I I just think that would be terrifying. And I hadn't realized that before sitting and thinking, I'm Mary, I have a new baby. And these guys are coming. They're coming to kill my kid. So they flee, right? They go to Egypt. 300 miles right after having a baby seems crazy. Um, 
And, oh, and yes, and the wise men at some point give them these three gifts, right? The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. I imagine that after they had the gold, they turned the gold and they bought a horse so that they could get to Egypt. That's just what I think I would have done with the money if it had come to me. Like, I'm done with the donkey, let's upgrade to a horse or a camel or something. Uh, just an idea, I don't know. So now you're on your way to Egypt. And you hear, as you stop in different small communities, that in Bethlehem, the city that you were just in, the city that you just gave birth in, um, about, it's estimated, about 25 to 50 kids were just killed in the city. And imagine they are still hormonal because you just gave birth and you have this newborn and the Romans came to kill your kid and instead they killed 25 to 50 babies in the city looking for your kid. I had never thought about this as being a traumatic event uh, until reading it through this time. Last year, I got to take this school in YWAM where I got to sit with a guy who uh, is a chaplain for the FBI in Miami. Um, and he trained us as missionaries how to recognize trauma and how to watch for trauma in the context of missions. Trauma happens in missions. <laughs> Um, anyway, I recognize this as trauma because of that training so recently. I'm thinking she had to have experienced some amount of, of guilt or um, like that was partially my fault. 25 to 50 kids were just killed, but it wasn't my fault. I had nothing to do with it, but I was there and they were after my kid and I got out because an angel came, but 25 to 50 kids just died. That's, that's extreme. That's so extreme. But they make it safely, right? They make it safely to Egypt. Um, and now they're in a totally unfamiliar culture and place. Um, again, having experienced some of taking my kid out of this country, having a kid in a foreign culture is totally different. Um, it makes all of the cultural differences magnified. Um, and thinking about raising a child in Egypt when you're from Israel, it, it's crazy uh, to not have support. Even, you know, when you have a kid, it takes, uh, we were joking today, Pax uh, came back into the green room and his parents were both looking all over in the church for him and he was hanging out in the green room with all the people who were getting ready to come out here. And uh, I think Scott said it takes a village to raise a child. Mary and Joseph didn't have a village. They, it was just them because they were in a totally unfamiliar place. Um, that's challenging. Okay, so you're in Egypt, and then you find out that Herod, the guy who sent the Roman soldiers to kill your kid, he's dead. So that's good, because you can go back to your home culture. Um, but then on the way back to where you're from, you find out that Herod is dead, but his son is now on, on the throne, and you hear that he's just as evil and wicked as uh, Herod was. So you decide instead of going back to Bethlehem, which was closer, um, you're going to continue to go all the way back to Nazareth. But the wild thing about that um, is that Nazareth is the city that you're from, the city where all of your uh, neighbors know that you were pregnant before you were married. They probably gossip about you, and they wonder, who is the father? And that's the city that you decide to go back and to raise your son in. I also thought about this. Mary experienced so much change, Mary and Joseph, 
Um, I'm not always the best at change. <laughs> I hope that she was, because she went through a lot of it. An extreme change. So this whole story and all of the extreme things and all of the trauma happened in about three years. Those are pretty intense three years. Pretty intense. So now I just want to point out some things um, that I noticed and I felt like the Lord highlighted to me through reading this story, really stepping into how these characters would experience things. Um, this story is extreme and it's not how I've traditionally thought about the Christmas story. And the greatest gift of all time, the most anticipated event in all of history, didn't look anything like anyone expected it to. Um, we know through lots of people who spend a lot more time studying that over 300 prophecies were fulfilled through the life of Christ. Prophecies that were written in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth. And the likelihood of a single person fulfilling just eight prophecies is one in 10 to the 21st power. I was reading, that was a, an assignment that a mathematician gave a bunch of his students uh, in a Christian college. He was saying, okay, so Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. What's the likelihood, mathematically speaking, that one person would fulfill only eight um, and this is the number that the group came up with after spending time researching. Um, and it's so wild to me that this is the most anticipated thing, and it didn't look anything like what we thought it would. But he, he Jesus, fulfilled at least 300 prophecies through his life. So looking at the Christmas story through the perspective of his parents, helps us to realize that in the midst of the craziness of their story unfolding, it might have been hard to see that the Lord was working on a bigger story than just what they experienced, but he was with them because he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. Um, so my, my challenge to all of us today is that maybe uh, you've been waiting on the Lord to do something that he's spoken about a long time ago, and as the story is unfolding in whatever area that is, it doesn't look anything like you thought it would. Uh, my, my challenge is to ask the Lord, and we're going to spend a minute just praying now and spending time listening to the Lord now. Lord, the story that doesn't look anything like I thought it would, where are you in this story? Where are you, Emmanuel? Where are you, God, with me? Because Jesus being in the story and Jesus being with us is all of the difference. Because he is, he is Emmanuel. He is with us. So I'm going to pray and we're going to spend just some time reflecting on this and asking the Lord, in this story that's disappointing, where are you? Your Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are God, Emmanuel. I thank you that you are with us. Lord, whatever the story looks like, that maybe is way harder than we anticipated, um, or it's taking longer than we thought it would, I ask that you would show us, help us to have the eyes to see where you are. Where are you in the story?
We're going to move into a time of communion. Um, so we can come first rows at a time, forward. And as you come, continue to say that posture of asking the Lord, where are you in this story? So first rows, you can go ahead and come. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.